Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through cinema. I am your host, Patrick, and you can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. I'm on there as Long Monkey, all one word, and you can check out my weird fiction and other projects at proleary.com. Today I'm by myself, but I went very heavy into a fun topic that I'll get into. But before I do that, let me talk about some of the other movies I watched recently, starting with Saving Face from 2004, directed by Alice Wu. Alice Wu was the director of The Half of It, which I reviewed pretty recently, which I enjoyed. So this is her first movie, and it's a sort of a uh, romantic comedy slices life uh, character study about a Chinese-American lesbian girl and her traditional family uh, who don't really know she's a lesbian, and um, she falls in love with a woman, and... Meanwhile, her mother has to come live with her because her mother is having uh, issues that go against what the family wants. I won't get into it without spoiling it, but it's uh, it turns into a very sticky situation that they both have to navigate, uh, especially because of the differences in generations. And it's a very it's good. It's a very pleasant movie. Um, just them trying to navigate their cultural differences. It's simple, it's unassuming, but it's a good look at the family, and I enjoyed it. It's funny, surprising, just very pleasant movie. That's Saving Face, 2004, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. After Saving Face, I watched a very, very short film on YouTube from 1986 called Skate Witches. Skate Witches was directed by Danny Plotnick. It's only two minutes long. And it's just, you know, it's just a punk rock uh, sort of like two minute DIY movie about these female skaters who are witches and just terrorize the neighborhood. And it's uh, shot on Super 8. It's fun. It's got that that, that DIY spirit that I love. And uh, yeah, there's not much to it. But if you like the uh, punk aesthetic, check out Skate Witches. I followed that one up with another movie from the 80s, Savage Streets, directed by Danny Steinman from 1984. This one stars um, everybody's favorite horror actress, Linda Blair and Linnea Quigley. And it is a, it's a exploitation film about a teenage vigilante who seeks revenge on a group of violent thugs who raped her handicapped sister and murdered her best friend. And Linda Blair plays the vengeance-stricken girl. And playing against type, Linnea Quigley plays the sweet, innocent, uh, deaf sister who does get raped in this movie. So trigger warning, it is pretty graphic. And there's a, uh, there's a raw, you know, like anything goes attitude with this movie that, you know, works for some, might not work for others, but... Besides that, it's full of just like 80s goofiness and craziness with the outfits and the music and this, I can't believe that this movie is is uh, made. And uh, there's so many shower scenes with the, the girls in the locker room. It's just one of those exploitation, madness, fun movies. And it works, you know, it works well. It just kind of has that weird dichotomy with those rape scenes, which are really rough. So... You know, take that with a grain of salt and if, um, you know, watch it, but just be warned. So that was Savage Streets, 1984. 
And you can find that one also on Amazon Prime. After that, I went to Hollywood 2017. I watched The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro. I've always been a fan of del Toro, but none of his movies really like hit that perfect balance for me, except for Shape of Water. This is the second time I've seen it, and first time I really liked it. This time I still really liked it, and I really appreciate uh, what it's trying to do because it's, you know, it's a, it's a almost like a fairy tale set uh, back in like the early sixties in America where there's this mute uh, woman who works as a janitor at some weird scientific laboratory and she falls in love with a uh, fish man. <laughs> I mean, it sounds uh, absurd, like it wouldn't work, but it does. And I don't know why it has to really do with del Toro's skill. He is so good at this fairy tale like imagery that it kind of just becomes a fairy tale. And everything is so textured and so lovingly detailed, the production design and everything. But the best part of the movie is that it goes to for the R rating. There's some really gross stuff, some really adult stuff, and it kind of just fits that mold of like a really dark adult fairy tale. Um so it's just fun to see like a uh, like a big slick Hollywood movie that has that attitude and you know you get Sally Hawkins in there as the lead and Michael Shannon as the villain and you got a real winner that's The Shape of Water from 2017 and that one is on Hulu right now after The Shape of Water I watched I went way back to Hollywood in 1939 I watched Stagecoach directed by John Ford so I've never seen this movie before, and I, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but I'm a big fan of the top 1,000 list that the website They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? puts to get, put together. You should check it out. You can find it on their website. You can find it on Letterboxd. It's the TSPDT Top 1,000, and it's just a, a huge list of movies that's um, sort of cobbled together from all these other big lists. And I don't really know how it's done, but... It's what I love about it is that it comes out every year like clockwork and it is such a good representation of all the different types of cinema. And that's why I've made it one of my life goals to watch all 1000 movies. And uh, by doing that, I feel like I'm going to get a huge, like a really great cross section of what the world of cinema is actually like. Um, anyway, I'm this will be number 401 or 402. So I'm getting there. So Stagecoach, uh, directed by John Ford, is about a group of people traveling on a stagecoach um, through territory where Geronimo, the Native American, is terrorizing everybody. And it's kind of that great setup where you got a whole bunch of different characters and they're all given their reasons why they have to go in the stagecoach and get to the next destination. They know the danger and then you throw them together in this situation and then you just watch the character dynamics bounce off of each other for 90 minutes. It has great characters and great writing and great acting, which is important for a movie like this, for sure. Um, it does have some uh, problematic things with the treatment of Native Americans in this movie, but it does have some very progressive stuff when it comes to class and gender, which I found very interesting. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a, a mixed bag there, but you put it in context and it's at its heart, 
It's just a really great uh, characters on an adventure tale, and it culminates in an incredible action scene where you know some of the best stunts I've ever seen were are in this scene, in this stagecoach scene, and including one that had made me just go, oh, when it was happening, like, oh my god, did that guy survive? Uh, so that's really cool. Um, and it does have uh, John Wayne, very young John Wayne, which is cool. And uh, a lot of good performances. Claire Trevor as Dallas is a good one. And uh, let's see, what's his name? Thomas Mitchell as the doctor, the drunk doctor, is great. And he might show up later in another ep- another movie, this episode. But um, yeah, highly recommend Stagecoach. Really liked it. Just put it into context and, and uh, you know, and enjoy this like really well-made Hollywood action character drama with a really cool ending at stagecoach. That one's also on, that one's on HBO max, which I find it's also on Amazon prime, but uh, I do find HBO to have a lot of good classic movies. After that, I watched a movie called I Tanya from 2017 I'm sure a lot of you have seen this one. I, Tanya is the story of Tanya Harding's, uh, Tanya Harding, basically her upbringing uh, and everything that leads up to the infamous incident with Nancy Kerrigan. And it has a really great star-making performance by Margot Robbie. Uh, and Craig Gillespie, the director, uh, really makes like bold colorful choices the whole movie is very much a uh kind of a spunky and vibrant vibrantly shot portrayal of this larger than life character and all the larger than life people in her life that are really just people living on the outskirts and uh you know it's a regardless of if it's true or not the way the incidents are portrayed it's an engaging character and an engaging story and Craig Gillespie does a, a good job with it. Um, you know, sometimes you make it a little over the top, but there are a lot of bold choices. But it's a movie full of bold characters, so it kind of makes sense. I also want to shout out the special effects in this movie because Margot Robbie looks like she's doing all this incredible figure skating in slow motion, in close up. But you know, they got to be doing something with special effects to get that to work, and that's just uh, it's pretty seamless. So. Yeah, Tanya Harding is a good, solid, uh, yeah, it's a good, solid character study, so I'd recommend it. It's I, Tanya, 2017. You can find that on Hulu. And the last movie I'm going to talk about before we get into a pretty large <laughs> um, little dive into cinema is another Western, this one from 1952, High Noon, directed by Fred Zinneman. High Noon is the story of Will Kane. He's a sheriff of a small town. An outlaw, notorious outlaw that he put into jail has been freed and will be arriving soon on the noon train. And knowing that the outlaw and his gang are coming to kill him, he's determined to stand his ground. And he basically has an hour or so to gather up a posse to defend the town. And I was picturing this movie to be a sort of... um, like a getting the team together uh, action movie, uh, but it doesn't really turn into that. It is more of a very nuanced um, 
like a journey of his legacy that he's left behind or may be leaving behind considering like he may be dying in this battle as he's going through the town and and uh talking to everybody and trying to get them on his side and you can kind of see the the different types of people who are for or against uh being involved or for or against what he's trying to do and there's some history with some of these people that comes up that bubbles up to the surface when he's when he's asking him them to do this thing for him and it's a great performance um by uh great performance by sorry Gary Cooper and his wife who he literally marries in the first like few minutes of this movie it's this all takes place on his wedding day and his wedding day his wife is Grace Kelly and Grace Kelly wow she's just perfection and um she is uh finally has like a husband that you know uh i don't know just fits her better i've seen her in rear window where she was just like the perfect doll to jimmy stewart and jimmy stewart was such the biggest jerk and that always rubbed me the wrong way this one's a little different i mean it does have that macho attitude of honor uh that gary cooper has but there's some really interesting uh, character ideas in this. So um, I recommend it. I really enjoyed it. It's High Noon by Fred Zinnerman uh, from 1952, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. All right, time for a little dive into some fun movie category. One of my favorites, we're going to be talking about regional horror. Regional horror are those horror movies that are kind of made uh, on the cheap by a bunch of people who've never made movies before, and they get some money together to kind of make a cheap horror movie um, and maybe turn a profit, maybe get enough movie money to kind of try to break into the film industry or whatever the case. They're usually cheap. They usually have a lot of non-professional actors, um, low production values. They're, there's so many horror movies because horror movies sold back in the you know the 70s and 80s and even 60s, and they just, you know, with the drive-ins, but um, it's just a fun sort of category of movies, and there's so many that have been lost to time or rediscovered. So it's a really interesting uh, genre if you want to dig into it. So the first one I'm going to talk about is a movie called The Giant Spider Invasion, directed by Bill Rabane. Bill Rabane is one of the people um, who made movies in this genre who kind of made good meaning he made more than one movie. He got enough money together to make, you know, multiple movies. So I guess they were uh, minor successes or at least recouped their budget. But this one, Giant Spider Invasion from 1975, it is about a black hole that kind of hits uh, North Wisconsin in a meteor and it opens the door to another dimension and giant spiders start to emerge from it. And these spiders, of course, want to eat people. Um, it is notable because it has uh, Alan Hale Jr., who is a who as a sheriff, and he is the skipper from Gilligan's Island. But it's also notable for its incredibly fun, and I will not, I cannot under underestimate this. It's incredibly fun giant spider effects, where it looks like they built a giant spider carcass and plopped it on top of a car and and had it slowly drive across the countryside while marionetting these big giant legs so you can see a giant spider crawling off in the distance or a giant spider 
you know, crawling through the town streets. And there's so much like local color to this because we get to see all the fun characters from this town. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great example of this genre. And what's cool about it is it's even without the giant spider effects, it would be sort of a goofy, dumb horror movie with some fun characters doing goofy stuff. Um, but you add those spider effects on top and it becomes something really special. So highly recommend the giant spider invasion, 1975 that's on Amazon prime. After that, I jumped to, uh, I'm kind of going to do this in a different order. So I'm going to go to 1976 a movie called creature from black lake creature from black lake directed by joy N. walk jr. Who made a few movies. So maybe, uh, he kind of, uh, made good as well, but this is a story of two men who are traveling to this Louisiana town and swamps who, um, they're two students from Chicago and they're trying to investigate a Bigfoot creature that is known to have been sighted in the area, except they run up against the town sheriff and all the people of the town who do not want to talk about this creature. So it's just them trying to kind of get into it, you know, trying to get some clues, trying to figure out where this thing is and then capture it or kill it or study it or something. And, you know, it takes a long time for there to be any real action, but it's still a lot of fun because the characters are cool. The actors are good. Everyone's kind of goofy. And it's got Jack Ellum, who, uh, you know, you you recognize him if you saw him. Look him up. He's in a whole bunch of movies. So it has him, and he's chewing some scenery as, like, the the drunk trapper who has seen the Bigfoot creature. Um, it has Dub Taylor who's another character actor I'm sure you've seen before. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of talent in this one. It's actually shot, too, by one of, um, by a, let me see if I can find his name here. Oh, yeah, Dean Cundy. Cinematography by Dean Cundy, who did, like, big stuff, Jurassic Park, The Thing, Back to a Feature Series. He was a big cinematographer, and this is one of his early works. So it's got some cool shots of the Louisiana swamp. So it's just a cool location. And then when the Bigfoot creature finally does show up, it's a, you know, it's a pretty cool climax that kind of leads to a interesting, um, I don't know, down home sort of ending. So this is a, this is a solid entry into the regional horror uh, genre. That's Creature from Black Lake. And I saw this off of a Gold Ninja video Blu-ray release. I should, I recommend you checking out uh, the website for Gold Ninja Video. It's done by one of the members of the uh, Important Cinema podcast. It's a podcast I really enjoy. And they release these hard-to-find movies on Blu-ray. And they're kind of like do-it-yourself um, productions. But there's a lot of cool content on them. This one in particular has commentaries and introductions. And actually comes with another movie that I haven't watched yet, but I will watch and review. So that's Creature from Black Lake. Yeah, check it out. Gold Ninja Video. So, uh, those are two old, older regional horror movies. I decided to watch something that popped into my feed called Rise of the Animals from 2012, which was kind of described as a modern day regional horror directed by Chris Wojcik. It's only 70 minutes long and it's about, um, it takes place in a world where animals have turned on humanity 
and a teenager is traveling across the country to search for the girl of his dreams. And, you know, this is kind of shot on video, made on the cheap with a bunch of young actors who are just like hungry to make a movie and can feel that hunger. And the creature effects, this is an this is where we can have CGI. So we're not having these big puppets anymore. They have really, really cheap and funny CGI for these animals to attack people. I particularly prefer, uh, I particularly like the CGI for the creature in the climax, which I won't spoil. It's, um, so the movie's not great. You know, there's a lot of things wrong with it. It's not really well written or well put together. Uh, the effects are bad and it's, uh, it kind of it does work though. It works in the charming, independent feature sort of way. And one thing I really appreciate in a lot of movies like this, in these like low budget things, um, they go for the the they go for the raunchy jokes. They go for the adult, gross humor and the and the um, sort of the the you know the crude images and crude humor. And this movie doesn't do that. Yes, it's very gory. It's violent, but there's yeah, there's no nudity. There's no gross sexual jokes like in some other movies. So I did appreciate that a lot. It's the only movie made by these people. Rise of the Animals. I would consider it a, you know, an okay entry into the genre, but I do admire it quite a lot. And you can watch that on Amazon Prime as well. All right. The last one I'm going to talk about in the regional horror little dive is one of the best movies i watched for this episode it's called don't let the river beast get you directed by charlie ruxberg from 2012 so where do i start motern media is a company or group of people led by matt farley and charlie ruxberg who uh make these low budget movies that are so interesting and so well-made and so well-written, and they're steeped in the genres that they are made in. Matt Farley, you may know, is the guy on Spotify who wrote over 20,000 songs. And he's actually a good musician for that many songs. You know, they're fun and they're goofy, and you should definitely check out Local Legends, which is a movie that kind of will introduce you to this group of people. But... uh, you know, it's it's so hard to describe how watching these movies is like just coming home to your friends and like hanging out with your friends, but not in a amateurish way. These movies are like really well written and well made. Yes, they are uh, low budget and had bad acting, but they have earnest acting. And there's a very big difference between something that's bad and something that is just bad but earnest and like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The vibe of these movies is so unique. So, you know, putting that aside, let me just get into what the movie's about. Don't Let the River Be Sketchy is a story of uh, a vicious monster. The River Beast is, uh, has come out of the water in the peaceful New England town. And our hero, played by Matt Farley, uh, left town because of an incident involving the river beast and an embarrassment of being left at the altar by his wife, his soon-to-be wife. And he comes back to town to kind of put things right. 
and then the river beast starts to come out again and and you get the interaction of him and his ex-wife and his ex-wife's new boyfriend and and his old friends and then um the river beast itself and it's just so many fun characters and so many fun bits of dialogue and bits of action and it's it's earnestly made it knows what it's trying to do and does it really well i can't speak highly enough of the Motern media movies that I've seen. I've seen Local Legends and Don't Let the River Beast Get You and Slingshot Cops. And I'm eager to see more. So check this one out. Uh, the people who made it are huge fans of regional horror, so much so that they do 48-hour regional horror marathons every couple of years. And it shows when you watch this movie. It's sort of the culmination of all the tropes that you see in these horror movies put into one movie and made entertaining and fun. And, you know, uh, again, there's no gross jokes. These movies are just very, uh, you know, I, I, I would even go with saying family friendly, just they got a great attitude and that's very refreshing to see. So don't let the river beast get you is on Amazon prime, but I implore you to check out the gold ninja video release which is an official release of the movie, uh, which I picked up and watched. And it's just a, you know, support, support the local artist, buy the movie and watch it um, in a great format with a really great extras. And again, it comes with another Motern Media film on it as well, which I will watch and review at some point. Don't let the river beast get you. All right, enough of me uh, going crazy and talking at length about Motern Media. Um, that's it for my little dive into regional horror. In general, I'm a huge fan of the genre, mostly because I like discovery and I like oddities and I love the do-it-yourself spirit of making a movie. And I will give movies like that a lot of leeway. Movies where everyone involved is like, you know, never made a movie before and they're just trying to do something. And there's something charming about that. There's something charming about the bad monster effects and the and the bad acting and the colorful characters and the unique locations and it's you know it just gives you an insight into a different uh like small segment of uh art if you can call it art and i do so i um yeah i'll definitely be checking out more of these movies going forward as i do uh throughout the year so that's regional horror all right, so I will not let you go before I give a uncommon film rep recommendation. And because we are talking about regional horror, I'm going to recommend a movie that I don't know if you consider it regional horror because it, it was filmed in New York City, but it definitely has that same do-it-yourself spirit and low-budget filmmaking and effects that the regional horror movies have. And that's Slime City, directed by Greg Lamberson from 1988. Slime City is a story of a student who moves into this rundown building in New York. Uh, there's full of It's full of bizarre neighbors, and uh, some of them make this concoction in their apartment that they call, quote, wine. And when he takes some of it, he starts to turn into like a deformed monster. And there's great, great goofy, low-budget slime effects. And just like a brisk pace. Um, and it has like a gonzo like ending. Like they really put all they had into this movie. And 
um, it became like a minor little cult hit over the years. So that's something I would recommend checking out if it interests you. Slime City from 1988. All right, everybody. That is it for me today. Come back for next episode because I will have a special guest and we will be talking about the exact opposite of regional horror. What is that, you ask? It is going to be Wes Anderson movies. Yes, Wes Anderson, everyone, every film bro's favorite filmmaker. But we'll see if we can find some interesting things to talk about. I have seen most Wes Anderson movies, so this will give me a chance to see the one or two that I have not seen. So I look forward to having that discussion with next week's special guest. So that's it for now. Please check out my uh, letterboxed, Long Monkey, all one word, and check out my other projects on PROleary.com. Have a good night and sweet dreams.